Hi everyone, and welcome to the Go Tech Please Don't Die podcast, a show devoted to tech going and hopefully not dying. I'm Nathan. I'm Evan. I'm Courtney. And yeah, we're joined by two-time baseball contest winning, last week's Tweet of the Week winning, uh, also my wife, yeah, Courtney. (laughs) Your wife. Yeah, somehow you've upstaged me at my own thing by winning all of that. Now you know how I feel, Nathan. (laughs) I'm better at baseball than you, and I have to avenge Evan by taking down one of his brothers. Yes, please. I've publicly talked about how bad I was at actually playing baseball. So yeah, if you knew what my average was, it's not a very high bar to clear. But... (laughs) That's besides the point, but we do have some baseball games to talk about, and a good team this time, not the teams that I was on, Louisiana Tech. They just played against UAB and took three of the four games at J.C. Love Field. Uh, but I guess before we get into that, though, we do have some basketball news. No more games, but we do have a couple of newcomers that have made the commitment to be Bulldogs next season. Uh, Want to tell us about a couple of them, Evan? Yeah, so um, as everybody listening probably knows, we had a bunch of seniors this past year, and of course they can come back if they want to but we're not really sure where we stand with a lot of those guys like gordon and archibald and ledoux so conkle's been out getting some replacement players or maybe just additional players if those guys decide to come back i guess um but so far we've added a couple of guards to the backcourt keiston willis he's a six foot three guard from incarnate word um where he primarily played the three so it'll be interesting to see how he fits in with crawford you know, moving forward, but he's going to have three years of eligibility left and he's pretty good. I mean, it it seems like we went out and got the, got the best, best player on two different Southland conference teams here, which is kind of interesting, but this guy, he, he's a shooter. He ranked second in the Southland in scoring and also 47th in the nation in scoring with 19 points per game. Um, But with that being said, he also took 34% of incarnate word shots when he was on the floor which is the 13th highest share in the NCAA. So I don't think Tech will work that way, but it kind of seems like a situation where he's the best player on the team and everybody knows it, so just give him the ball and let him shoot, and that's the only way they're going to win any games. Is there anything else we should know about this guy, Nathan? Yeah, Tech has had issues in the past with free throws, so this may be some good news coming out here. He gets the free throw line pretty well. Five and a half fouls drawn per 40 minutes, so five and a half fouls drawn per game. That's 115th in the nation. When he does get to the line, he shoots 71%, which is not great, but above Tech's usual average. That may be about that this past year. They improved as the season went on, but at least not a 50% shooter like some of the guys we've gotten in the past. A few honors that he's had, though. He is the Southland Conference Freshman of the Year, not this past year, and I guess not the 2020 season that kind of got ended short, but in 2019. Uh, he hit 122 three-pointers in his two years at Incarnate Word and anchored that team in numerous categories during a sophomore season, including points, steals, field goals made, three-point field goals made, free throws made, To kind of go through those numbers, he had 379 points, 24 steals, 125 field goals made, 41 three-point field goals made, and 81 free throws made. He also shot 42.5% from the field, 36.7% from three, and 75.9% from the foul line in his sophomore year. 
So yeah, you have in the notes here that should be a pretty decent replacement for Ledoux. That's exactly who I'm thinking of when I'm reading these stats. A guy who likes to shoot a lot and is not afraid to take the shot over passing to possibly the more open guy, but is also very good at getting the ball to go into the bucket. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting with a player like that who's used to being that like number one guy on the team who always takes the shots. It'll be interesting to see how he fits in on a, on a better team, right, with more pieces around him. And a team that honestly, for the next three years, should be running through Junior Lofton. So it'll be interesting to see uh, ha- how he works with the pieces that we already have. But a guy that can make shots is always a welcome addition to a basketball team. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, since she's on the show right now, uh, Courtney, you want to give your thoughts on Junior Lofton? Do, is he a good player? Uh, <laughs> what type of question is that? Uh, yes, he is the player. <laughs> Speaking of yeah. Junior Lofton, I'm pretty sure we just got somebody that went to high school with Junior Lofton. Yeah, that's yeah. our other transfer to talk about, Kaysen Harrison. Uh, Evan, you want to take this one too? Yeah, so he, like you said, probably the most important fact about him is that he played high school basketball with Junior Lofton. That is um, the important fact. He is going to be just like those two together. There it is. There's the team. 2022, yeah. we're going to the finals. Book it. <laughs> Do uh, college basketball teams have bus buddies when they go on the team bus, or do they get the whole row to themselves? Because these two may be bus buddies. I mean, they could be like across the row buddies too if they don't have to sit together. Yeah, yeah. just gotta make sure you yeah. get to that sign up sheet early. Exactly. Um, okay. Well, he uh, <laughs> he he plays the point guard position, which again, kind of interesting because I don't know if you know about tech, but we have a point guard. Yeah, this team is quickly turning into oops, all guards plus Lawton. <laughs> but he is really impressive because you know he played with Lofton in high school obviously went to Lamar for his first year of college and he really stood out there um, on the Cardinals I believe is what they are he played 88 percent of the minutes at the point for Lamar and averaged 13.1 points four assists 2.8 rebounds and 1.5 steals per game so a pretty good all-around player, especially at that point guard position. He was still scoring points as well. He also shot 47.7% from the field, 48% from three, although he doesn't really take that many threes, so that number's a little bit um, kind of like how Kobe Williams started hitting threes at the end of the at the end of the season in the NIT and in the conference tournament when he broke his hand, but he's not really a three-point shooter like Ledoux is, right? So he also, though, to your point earlier, Nathan, he also shoots about 81% from the free throw line. So that is a welcome addition as well. And I'm sure that we will find creative ways to get him on the floor with Kobe Williams, even if he's not playing the point. Yeah, and even Kobe Williams needs a break every now and then. And hey, this this conference tournament, I mean, only having the one true point guard ended up causing our downfall, right? So hopefully... Having two guys that can play the point effectively will make will make the team better as a whole. Yeah, I mean, breaking news, depth is important. But yeah, we definitely saw yeah. that on display in the conference tournament. Also, yes, Lamar is the Cardinals. Incarnate Word was also the Cardinals. So maybe oh, we're wow. just, we may get a St. Louis baseball player in for our next transfer. Oops, all birds. Or a Louisville basketball player. Yeah, I guess that's more reasonable. Former, former birds turning into bulldogs. I don't know if that is how evolution works, but I, I don't know. I wasn't a scientist. I'm a scientist. Major. Don't think that's how it works. But I'm also <laughs> a human scientist. 
yeah. You have to stay in your lane, Courtney. <laughs> yeah, I do. I'm sorry. I know nothing. <laughs> yeah, but while Conkle has been targeting Cardinals, uh, the Stowers have been targeting Panthers. Uh, a point guard from Pitt, Gabby Green, has transferred to join the Lady Texter program. She started 47 of 48 games for the Pittsburgh Panthers last year and averaged 8.3 points, 2.8 rebounds per game, while shooting 82% at the free throw line. Maybe we can get her on the men's team too with that free throw. I'll tell you what, you could put the Texters out there just for free throws for the men's team. They'd, they'd be a little bit better, I think. Or, or just like get them work together in practice or something to teach form or so, something like that. I don't know. Yeah, fundamental basketball. Yeah, I will <laughs> I will lobby NCAA to get so where you can switch teams for foul <laughs> shots. Sure, that will go over great. Co-ed basketball. Yeah, what could go wrong? Gabby Green's also a former JUCO All-American from her time playing with the South Plains College. So she's made a couple different pit stops on her way to the program. She's from Pitt. That's the joke. Ha ha. Ha ha. Or South Plains College. Uh, I think it's in Texas. She's from Texas originally. So I think the stores had recruited her out of South Plains College, but she decided to go to Pitt. So she'll have one year of eligibility, I believe, with the Texters. But it's near Lubbock. Should love it. Oh, okay. Ooh, that's West Texas. It it should be a pretty good pickup, though, um, because I know that, you know, the Texters in this past year had uh, Ginto as the primary point guard and She's good. She's more of a shooter, though, I think, uh, than a than a pure point guard. So I think it'll be nice to get that pure point guard back in Gabby Green. So hopefully the Texters can continue kind of their upward trajectory. And, uh, you know, maybe Gabby Green will be a big part of that. That's all we can hope for, right? Yeah, exactly. I dream of a time when the Texters regain their basketball dominance. But a team that is kind of on top of the world right now is the baseball team kind of continuing their trend forward. Again, they won three of their four games against UAB this week. Let's kind of jump through them very quickly. The first game Thursday night was probably the most fun game of them all, (laughs) although it could arguably be the most boring. Run ruling the Blazers in the opening game of the series, something I didn't even think was possible until it happened. Don't you just love to see it? Yes, I did. I did love to see it. It was a lot of fun especially against UAB, because I I don't have any beef with their baseball program, but it's just nice to be able to dunk on their fans on Twitter, you know, even though they don't really care about baseball, apparently. But Beating UAB this year in all men's sports, though, I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. 1-0 in football, 2-0 in basketball, 3-1 in baseball. It's been a pretty good year against the Blazers. I'll take it. (laughs) Yeah, and, and Tech really took it and ran with it early in the Thursday night game. After the second, it was a 9-0 ball game. Hasler and Wells hit three-run home runs in that second inning, and Garcia, you know, just only hit a two-run home run. So, what a what a slacker. Slacker. Yeah, exactly. Get more guys on base before you get up to bat, is what I should yeah. be saying. Now, UAB does get one back in the fourth, but Tech explodes for two in the bottom of the fourth, two in the fifth, and three in the sixth, and never end up even getting to play the seventh. And they take this one 16-1 after six and a half innings. So, yeah, the seventh inning stretch was just a stretch to get up and go home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, uh, that second inning, too, had Tech had eight straight batters get a hit. I mean, yeah. It... <laughs> what, what are you going to do? They left the same pitcher in the whole inning. You know, it's the first game of a four. Or, no, they, they swapped him out after the ninth hit of the inning. <laughs> 
Um, I jokingly asked Nathan at one point, I was like, so could they bat around twice if they just kept this up? Because they were they were pretty hot. They were on pace, too. Yeah, they yeah. almost did. I mean, they got through what they got from Garcia, who was like fifth, I think, all the way to Ray. Uh, Ray batted twice in the inning, and he bats ninth. So that's yeah, that's pretty close. Almost. It's a joke, but like almost happened. <laughs> Yeah, that, I wonder how long that second inning. I wish I had timed it. You know, like that had to be at least like forty minutes, right? I mean, I mean, a six and a half inning game lasted two hours and thirty five minutes. That, that's that's quite a bit for that few number of innings. Yeah, but yeah, also, I mean, just on the mound though, Jonathan Fincher. Yeah, we won the game by fifteen runs, but only giving up one run is still quite a big deal. Pitches the complete game, five hit, one run allowed. Only throws eighty seven pitches too. Just uh, what more can you ask for from your Friday night, or in this case, Thursday night starter? I yeah. don't think there is anything else we could. I mean, if there was one run, I guess you could say no runs would have been better. But I mean, 16 and one, like, I'm not going to complain about that any day. Yeah, I've checked the math. Yeah, I'd rather get zero <laughs> than one. 16 is more than one. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Check that math, Note, too. Yeah, noted math expert me says that that is that is true so (laughs) (laughs) yeah but that success didn't necessarily um you know had us feeling pretty good on that first night of the series but didn't necessarily translate into success on friday did it yeah started to worry if that thursday night game was just an april fool's prank because the friday early game of the doubleheader tech falls no wait we won the first game, but it was yeah. it was not as it was fun. scary. <laughs> Wasn't as pretty. So UAB pitched their their Friday their normal Friday starter. They decided to keep him on Friday and start him in the first game. His name is uh, Riley Davis, I believe. So Riley Davis is their ace, their best pitcher, and um, he was pretty good through a couple innings. And UAB had some runs early to kind of make it seem like it was going to be a different type of game. Yeah, scoring one run in the first, one in the second, going down 2 nothing early on. It's a weird place to be. I mean, when we played Arkansas, Arkansas was talking about how they had all these come-from-behind victories and how they just had this late-inning magic that always seemed to work out for them. Tech hasn't really had that many games like that. They've had some where they just blow a team out of the water, like on Thursday night against UAB, and some pitcher's duels where they score a couple runs and that ends up being exactly what they need to win the game. But it's not very often where we give up some early runs and then come back from behind like we do in this one. Yeah, Riley Davis silences our bats up until the fifth inning, which uh, probably around the third time through the lineup, Tech explodes for five runs and takes that lead back and keeps that lead and ends up holding on to this one six to four. One thing I have about this game, though, is just that with uh, Cade Gibson, and we'll talk about him in the second game in a second, uh, he kind of kind of coming out of nowhere and kind of being this fourth starter that you really need. Ryan Jennings has kind of let me down a little bit so far this year. He was supposed to pitch last year. He had uh, Tommy John surgery, if I remember right. It's uh, a season-ending surgery before he even threw a pitch as a Bulldog. Came into this year being like, okay, well, we have Jonathan Fincher and Worf, so if this guy's as good as we thought he was going into last year, then we'll be all set. And the Saturday night, or in this case, the early Friday game, this seems to be our weak point in the starting rotation. That to me is, and I'm looking for things to nitpick on because yeah. there's a number by our name and we're doing, and we just beat UAB in a three, one series and the same to USM a week before. But 
I've been a little disappointed in what I've seen out of Ryan Jennings. Yeah, and I mean, to your point, Kyle Griffin gets credited with the win in this game because Jennings got pulled after after four and a third, uh, giving up three earned runs. But yeah, Gr- Griffin came in, though, and was really good. So um, that was nice to see the bullpen kind of, you know, work out for once. Yeah, and Griffin, going into this year at least, was expected to be that guy who you need someone to eat up some innings, you need someone to come in and just be reliable. He's who you put in. And he hasn't had the best season so far. Last year was better for him, and I think the year before that was even better for him. But he came into this game and did exactly what you kind of expect him to do. He gave up a run and a couple hits, but settled everything down. And that one run didn't even come until his third inning on the mound in his two and two-thirds innings. So, yeah, I mean, great performance out of him. Of course... That second game of this doubleheader, though, that's the one where Cade Gibson comes out, pitches dominantly through the first time through the order, the the second time through the order, about half of it, and then the middle of the order, the second time up, comes and just rocks him. And UAB ends up scoring eight runs in that fourth inning of that second doubleheader game. Yeah, uh, he, he gave up two hits and no runs through three, and then just, man, I mean... We, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but this game, I mean, this game just kind of shows you how fast a baseball game can fall apart if your pitcher just loses it, like, for for a second, you know? It, it, it's kind of crazy because, I mean, he retired, you know, the first inning, he gives up one hit. The second inning, he uh, strikes out two and grounds out another to second base on, like, eight total pitches so or 10 total pitches so like he's seems like he's got his stuff right two strikeouts in in the second inning alone and then the third inning they get one more hit but nothing too crazy and then the fourth inning comes and he's just like you know double single hit by pitch double and it's like oh man what happened and, and those two early hits were both singles too they weren't extra base hits which was really his achilles heel in this fourth inning giving up immediately that double, like you said, a double, a single, the hit by pitch, another double, finally gets a full count strikeout, and then a four-pitch walk that ends on a passed ball that ends up advancing two of the runners. And yeah, that error goes to the catcher because it's a passed ball. But on a 3-0 count, it shouldn't even be in a position where the catcher can, can make a bad play on it. It should be right down the middle in his glove. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Is this on the coaching for not pulling him out earlier what what are you what do you think about that i i don't think it's squarely on the coaching i mean at, at least a, of course at least a little it will be on the pitcher himself he just stopped pitching well in a game like this especially in a game where you only used one reliever in the top game and you have wharf coming in for the second game and of course we all know in retrospect how that game goes we only use two relievers in that one as well but you have fincher throwing a complete game friday night one reliever being used Saturday in the early game and only two being used in the Sunday. Or Sorry, these are Friday-Saturday games. The Friday early game, one reliever. Saturday game, two relievers. You only end up using three relievers all weekend outside of this Cade Gibson um, mess here. It doesn't hurt you when you're rich in relievers to get people up early. I think that was the problem is it all fell apart so quickly that you didn't have time to get anyone warmed up in the bullpen to take over. Martinez gets up after the first few batters, 
But at that point, UAB's already scored a run and maybe up 2 nothing before you're like, okay, let's get this guy going. Four batters later, and now it's 6 nothing, and you're making the switch. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that was my thought, too, is just that, like, when you needed to replace Gibson was probably around the time of that 3-0 walk-past-ball thing that you mentioned earlier, um, which scored a run. And to do that, you probably would have had to have Martinez warming up from the very beginning of the inning. And at the beginning of this inning, he's given up two hits and has, you know, three strikeouts up to that point. So, like, why would you be doing that? Um, Yeah, exactly. It it just goes to shit. Like, we're not going to win every game. So relax, people online who are like, oh, this is a terrible loss. Our team's not as good as we think they are. Like, you're going to lose some games because it's baseball, right? Crazy stuff happens. I was going like... to say, it's baseball. Baseball, like, you can go from being the best team and then, like, lose horrendously just like that. Like, at the drop of a dime. Yeah, and, and really just one inning is all we got beaten this weekend, right? I mean, they scored eight runs in that one inning. And outside of that, I mean, they won this game 9-3. to three, So if, if you erase that fourth inning, right, like if we don't kind of wake up in the middle of a nightmare in that fourth inning, it's a different story, but that happens sometimes. Yeah. This is the only inning all series, all four game series where UAB scores more than one run in an inning. Wow. That's impressive just on its face. And yeah, they're with the exception of this one inning. And that's a huge exception right here, but (laughs) it it is what it is. Uh, We're throwing our, it's against our fourth starter too. So I'm not as upset about this as if, uh, Wharf or Fincher gave up an eight-run inning. But also it's worth mentioning, uh, Greg Martinez comes in and throws two straight strikes, or a foul and a strike, to go to an 0-2 count. It's still 6 nothing at this point. And then on an 0-2 count, gives up a home run, a two-run home run, to uh, Zach Davis, I think is his name. That that should not happen. Yeah. <laughs> you should not give up an 0-2 home run ever. Yeah, you got to put that down in the dirt. <laughs> Or like way dirt, put it outside, put it inside. I don't care. Just don't put it over the fence. Yeah. And then, I mean, it comes back and strikes out the next batter to end the inning. But at that point, the damage is done. And Tech actually rallies here a little bit in the seventh. It, it, there was a little bit of that magic brewing. Yeah. I mean, if it was like four to nothing, I might believe. But it's nine to nothing. So eh. we got a third of the way there. Yeah, but with two outs. <laughs> okay, but yeah. like in the first game, we scored twelve runs in one inning. Like at this point, I'm thinking that anything's possible. Fair enough. <laughs> and we had the bases loaded with one out. Taylor Young comes to bat with the bases loaded, one out, and a swing of the bat makes it a, a five-run ball game. That's that's more doable, I guess. <laughs> Instead, he flies out to center field for the sacrifice fly. Tech gets that one run there. Then Hunter Wells singles. So with two outs, we're still not not dead in the water and only down seven now parker bates singles the left field to score another run now we're down nine three so we've got some guys on base still we have two men on base and then still never lines out to right field and then ends the game but that wasn't the end of the series though it's it's two one right now going into the saturday game look i'd rather lose nine to three with those three runs coming in the in the last inning before your next game and then lose nine to zero and just kind of roll over and die you know yeah, so, team didn't give up. Yeah, I'll take it. I mean, you're almost certainly not going to win when you go into the last inning down nine to nothing, but they still didn't just like go up and strike out three times, so that's nice. Tech makes that lead six, that UAB lead six to end that game, and then they win the Saturday game 
6 nothing after completely shutting out the Blazers in the last game of the season. Last game of the series. It's not the end of the season yet. We have a lot of baseball left to play. Yeah. A lot of chances. I mean, to, doubleheader uh, on apart. a Friday. Like, if that's the only game they lost, then boys had to be tired yeah. for that first so it's like if they were gonna lose a game, I would have like hands down said, yeah, it was gonna be one of the doubleheaders. Yeah, I mean, and I don't know, the whole doubleheader four game series thing. It I don't understand it. I don't understand why we're doing it. Uh, it just seems like a bad idea. I, I don't know. The reasoning behind it is you, they want to be able to play a certain number of games. So college baseball is going with a full or nearly full schedule. To limit the number of opponents you're playing, what you would do is instead of playing a midweek game and then a three-game series on the weekend, you just play all conference games and play four-game series. Therefore, you're playing the same number of games a week, but you're limiting the exposure to other teams or teams canceling because of COVID or whatever. The issue is that, they're, to me, the issue is that they're forcing those four games into three days. If you did That's Thursday, Friday, say. Saturday, like, Sunday, exactly. I feel much better about it. But then they're also trying to cut off four innings from the weekend by making these seven-inning games because you have longer rests in between the weekends now and not so much rests between one of the games and the other three. It's it's not a perfect solution. I I see the math. I see how they got got here. But, yeah, it, it comes to the same thing with the basketball thing where you're playing the same team twice in a row, two nights, where a team can be dominant one night and not as dominant the other night. And baseball, that's even more true. So I expect a lot of 3-1 series games across COSA this year, even when one team is so much better than the other team, just because it's it's hard to win four games in a row. I wonder if any have any team swept like a, the four-game series. I thought I saw someone on COSA Twitter today talking about a sweep, but I could definitely be wrong. ODU swept Marshall in four games. Okay. There we go. And Charlotte swept FAU. Okay, so the East can do it, but we can't. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. They're in the East. Who cares? We don't play ODU until the end of the season. And it doesn't count as a conference anyway, so... Yeah, that's that, that's also true. Yeah, so Saturday, let's talk about this game, though. 6 nothing victory over the Blazers to take this series. Worf pitches seven scoreless frames, and then we have some bullpen action with Tompkins and Krager to come in and finish the job. Uh, I do want to talk about these two guys individually for a second. Uh, Landon Tompkins has been kind of the surprise of the bullpen for me so far this season. His ERA is 2.38, which is the lowest of any player on this team that's pitched at least 10 innings out of the bullpen. That ERA may be a little elevated compared to what he's actually been able to throw. He's only allowed a hit on 17% of the at-bats taken against him or in 10% walk rate too so players just don't get on base against him he's yet to give up a triple or a home run just a guy who i think has flown under the radar because this may be his first year on the team uh, it's not a name i recognize going into the year so i'm i'm happy to see him out there adding something to this bullpen that's been very hit or miss so far this year yes this is his first year with the bulldogs nice yeah, Kyle Krieger, who had been hurt up until the series, this is his Bulldog debut for this season. He's someone that Burroughs had talked about being possibly the closer of the team going into the year. And so to see him come in in the ninth inning, granted, not a save situation. The, the Bulldogs are up 6 nothing in this game. 
but a, a scoreless frame, a nice one, two, three inning out of him. I mean, no strikeouts, but to just get those three outs to end the game. I mean, what more can you ask for a guy coming off an injury? Yeah, great to see him getting in, and he's going to be a big part of this team's success moving forward. So nice to get him in in a, a low-pressure situation. Not quite 16-1 to 1 situation, but you know, <laughs> 6-0 coming in to the final uh, three outs is a nice nice time to you know get your feet wet with uh, some live game action, I think. Yeah, agreed. But in this game in particular, though, on the offense at least, Tech puts up two runs in the first and then one run in each of the third, fourth, fifth, and eighth innings, kind of spreading the wealth here across the box score. And, of course, again, they take it 6 nothing. So Tech wins this series 3-1. They'll travel to Houston to take on the Rice Owls this weekend. Back to our Friday through Sunday format with two games on Saturday, each being seven innings. The Rice Owls so far this year are 13, 14, and 1. Yeah. Wait, you can tie in baseball? You can if there's a travel curfew. On their Saturday game against Middle Tennessee in Murfreesboro, after 12 innings, they tied the game at 9-9, and they officially have a tie on their record. And both teams, I believe, should get kicked out of conference for that atrocity (laughs) in baseball. (laughs) I I didn't realize you could do that. Aren't we doing the whole runner on second base thing, too? Uh, I think that's just MLB. Oh, I thought I thought it was a thing, but I don't know. We haven't been to extras yet in uh, in conference, so that, that very well could be a thing. But I don't remember being super upset about it, so <laughs> at least I haven't heard about it. Yeah, in conference play, that that was a conference tie. Ugh. So that also means their conference record so far is two five and one, which is not what you would expect of a normal Rice Owls team who has won national championships. And has been kind of the dominant, along with Southern Miss, the dominant college baseball team in the conference. They just haven't played all that well this year. They got swept by ULL to open, or near the beginning of the season at least. They, they were able to beat Houston Baptist, who's 6-21. and So, hooray. Uh, they did beat, I'm trying to find them beating a team with a winning record, but I am struggling to find one. They took two or three from Southern, who are 10 and 14 on the year. Here's one. They beat Texas A&M on March 23rd in College Station. They won that game 2-1. to one. And uh, that's about it. They, they do not have a lot of convincing wins on their schedule. You hate to see it. Or maybe you love to see it. Yeah, at this point you're more yeah. about... Tech has the number by their name. They just need to not lose now. That's the biggest thing. The RPI for the Owls is 240, which is... Low, low. Tech's RPR right now is, by the way, is number nine. Yeah, went down a spot for, for losing that one game, but that's okay. Yeah, I, I'm content with an RPI nine right now. No, I'm good with that. Yeah. Well, we must be number one or we're nothing at all. <laughs> if you ain't first, you're last. Yeah. Tell him, Ricky Bobby. Yeah, <laughs> the, the Warren Nolan predictions for this game has Rice losing to the Bulldogs in all four games. They predict a Bulldog sweep. Seven to two are the first two games that they predict. The Friday and early Saturday game. The late Saturday game they predict Tech to win five to three, and the Sunday game they predict a nine to six victory for the Bulldogs. Hopefully that all comes true. That'd be a nice weekend sweep of a team that I remember sweeping at the old JC Love Field a few years ago, and probably the best baseball series I've ever been a part of. One of the games ended on a walk-off walk. It was incredible. I think I was there with you for that. Yeah, you may have. I'm still booing Ford <laughs> Proctor in my dreams. 
It's hard to forget <laughs> a, the rice player by the name of Ford Proctor. Come on. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so that's that's the preview of the Rice Owls to kind of go through their roster a little bit. Uh, when it comes to batting, their best guy so far this year at the plate has been Guy Garibay. Opius of 925, kind of a, a mostly singles guy, but he's he's hit some home runs so far this year, a 20% hit outcome of a home run. Uh, Cade Edwards has been their best home run hitter of the year so far, second place on the team in OPS of 886, and 24% of the time he gets a hit, it's over the fence for a home run. Mm. When it comes to their starting pitcher, this is kind of the weakest point on this team. Their best starter pitcher has an ERA of 421. Mm. 4.21. That's oh, wow. not, not, good. not so great. Yeah, Jonathan Fincher has an ERA of 1.62. Jarrett Worf has an ERA of 2.49. Even Cade Gibson has a lower ERA on the season. And this is their, their best pitcher so far. Uh, Mitchell Holcomb has pitched the most innings for them as a starter, I believe. Uh, ERA of 4.24. When it comes to relief pitching, though, they have some guys who who do a much better job, let's say. Uh, Matthew Linsky, he hasn't pitched a lot, but he's yet to give up a hit. He's allowed some That's runs, but he's yet to give ERA. up a hit. ERA of 1.23. I guess he walked a guy in. I'm not exactly sure how that worked for him, but whatever works. He also hasn't been out there all that often. He hasn't given up a single hit? I have zero hits. And 23% walks. One run. Played outcome. Yeah. So a quarter of the time, he faces a guy, he walks them, but he's yet to give up a hit. Yeah. Weird. What's his name? Yeah. Matthew, Matthew Linsky. Linsky. But wait, can we really quick talk about this guy that has a 44.18 ERA? <laughs> Christian Sinfuego. The thing I'm looking at only has the top seven. <laughs> By ERA, so. Uh, no, so I'm on their website. So they have one guy who has a 44.18 ERA, eight hits, 18 runs, 18. That errors? Wait, earned, I'm confused. Earned, 18 earned runs. Earned runs, earned runs. Okay, okay, yeah. Two innings pitched. Ouch. Y- yeah, that's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yikes. Poor guy. But, yeah, this Linsky guy. Has he's pitched seven, seven and a third innings, and he's got one earned run, eight walks, but no hits. Yeah, so he pitched against Middle Tennessee on the third, on the Saturday game. He pitched two innings and gave up two walks and had two strikeouts. So one of his better pitching performances so far this year. And in his previous game against UTSA, he had an inning without any walks. So I think walks were a big issue for him earlier in the year, and he's kind of reining it in as the year goes on. So we'll see, we'll see what version of him we face. But, I mean, if he's able to work around those walks, he's either lucky or good. And either way, I don't want to face a lucky or good pitcher very often yeah. if I'm the Bulldogs. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, Dalton Wood, Dalton Wood and Reed Gallant have been their kind of go-to guys with the most innings pitched out of the bullpen. Dalton Wood has an ERA of 2.51 and has yet to give up a home run. Reed Gallant has given up, I think, one home run. His ERA is 4.43. So that's who to watch on this Rice Owls team. But we're not done talking about baseball because we have to pick our baseball players of the week, something we only remember to do every other week. (laughs) Uh, Our our Bulldog player that we think has done the best so far this year. Evan, you want to start us off? Yeah, I'm going to go with Adarius Myers, who I think he pinch hit a couple times. Pinched hit? Pinch hitted? How do you past tense that? Interesting. Pinch hit? Pinched hit. Just go in and past tense both words. <laughs> Just to be safe. <laughs> Somewhere Miss Krieger is 
rolling over in her. Anyway, he hit five for eight in the series with six RBIs and two home runs. So I'm going to go ahead and give him the shout out as my player of the week. Uh, Courtney, you got one? I don't know. I feel like that I need to shout out, um, as Matt likes to call him, Jorge, I ain't got no Corona, just because of what Matt said, even though his name is pronounced George. (laughs) Yeah, he came back this week after injury and and played some pretty good games. Uh, The guy I'm giving it to is actually the guy who's been replacing him while he's been hurt, and that's Kyle Hassler. Hits his first home run so far of the season, right after Corona comes back from that injury. And then in the Saturday game, he singles in a run, the, f- the first couple of runs of the game in the second inning. But he also walked in a batter later in the game, a full count, takes three straight balls or two straight balls to force that walk to walk in a run, which I just love when players get walked home. And so props to Hassler for for making my <laughs> dreams come true, even if it was a meaningless meaningless fifth run in a 6 nothing ball game. Either way, yeah, Hassler gets my vote. For player of the week you know i'll just i'll just go ahead and shout out all of which i can't remember how many there were pitchers in the second inning of the first uab tech game for allowing us to almost bat around twice i think that'll be my player of the week just two pitchers believe it or not yeah carson oh. knight and tanner rusk okay but i mean they get co-player of the week apparently I got dizzy during that game watching all of that, so I couldn't remember if it was two, five, ten. I mean, two sounds good, though. Sure. Is it? Yeah, but you know what sounds better than two? Three. And that's how many victories that the softball team got this week against UTSA. And if you want to talk about doubleheaders, this team had to play two doubleheaders in a row against UTSA and went three and one. So, like, four games in one day? No. mm, mm. Two games across <laughs> four games across two days. Shut up, Evan. Okay. You know what I meant. Well that seems rough as well, but four games in one day would have been like truly very mean. I mean, yeah, yeah. No. So yeah, so we won three of these games, huh? Yep. <laughs> Nice. Um, so there were two doubleheaders across, or I'm sorry, yeah, two doubleheaders across two days. Texters went three and one. Going into this game, uh, Massey ranked UTSA at 157th in the country, and LaTeX was ranked 130th. So not a huge gap, but still a gap. Um, in the first game, both teams were scoreless until the fourth inning. Uh, Tech scored three runs in the fourth and one in the fifth. Uh, in the sixth, inning utsa started to rally and tied us with four runs but then utsa or i'm sorry texter said uh no no and scored four runs in the seventh with utsa scoring zero brooke diaz had homered to center field and also scored kb briley and amanda gonzalez and the final score ended up being eight to four for tech yeah, great to get that opening series win against UTSA. I mean, they're ranked a little lower than us in, in Massey, so you kind of hope that you're able to take at least two of these games with the, the rankings being similar there. But great to kind of jump out and immediately get that first game. The second game, though... Um... <laughs> Let's just pretend it didn't happen. This is also the opening of conference play, right? So the first CUSA game of the season. So yeah, you definitely want to start off on the right foot there. 
Yeah, and, and that's what textures yes. what the textures did. But that second game, we won't spend too long on though, because okay. that game ended with a final score of seventeen to two in favor of UTSA. Oh, God. And the game was run ruled after the fifth inning. Ooh. So yeah, it was. So uh, we experienced both sides of that uh, of that rule, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, it was not great. A little bit sooner for the texters, but you know they they came back. And in the sat the early Saturday game, uh, they started off hot. Kylie Neal homered to center field to get the first score on the board. Um, started falling back a little bit in the second inning. Um, UTSA had one player walk, and then Madison Washington homered to right center to put UTSA up two to one. In the third inning, uh, another UTSA player, Brooks, singled, stole second on a pass ball, and Washington homered again and put UTSA up 4-1. to one. Oof. In the fourth inning, UTSA's player, Kat Ibera, homered, and UTSA was up 5-1. to one. Uh, In the fifth inning is where Tech got hot. So Maddie Green, Amanda Gonzalez, and Zoe Hicks all scored, closing that gap. And still, UTSA was still up 5-4, to four, but again, that gap sort of closed. In the sixth inning, UTSA's uh, Mariana SL homered to center field, so UTSA went up one more score. In the seventh inning, Tech ended UTSA with Maddie Green, Amanda Gonzalez, and Bailey Wright all scoring, bringing up Tech 8-6 to six to win the game. So that that was a little bit better than the two to seventeen loss. Yeah, yeah. For a while there, I was like, "Wait, are you sure we won three games?" Because it sounds like you're setting us up for another loss here with us down five to one. But I mean, but we were talking about earlier, like rallying at the end, and it's like, "Yeah, okay, Homer, Homer, Homer. Wait a second, why why is this happening?" And then technically <laughs> hot with those three players, like those three runs, three runs, and so always a good thing. <laughs> yeah. And then the final game kind of continues that tradition of this weekend of these come-from-behind victories because this is another game where Tech needed all seven innings in the softball game to win. They come back from behind to win 4-2. to two. Uh, After the third inning, they're tied at one, but UTSA grabs a 2-1 lead in the bottom of the sixth. So we go to the top of the seventh. Trist Cork singles to get on base for the Texters. Then Zoe Hicks homers her home and herself. That gets that 3-2 lead. Kylie Neal in the next at-bat homers and gets that score to a 4-2. We're going to the bottom of the seventh, though. UTSA still has a chance to win this game, and they even get two women on with one out. The The winning run is at the plate for the walk-off here, but the Tech is able to get those final two outs and escape with that 4-2 win. So, yeah, great opening weekend from the Texters in conference play. They've had some ups and downs so far this season, but I would hope they're able to really build on this success. I hope so, too, especially, I mean, again, two days of doubleheaders back-to-back, first opening weekend of conference play. I mean, three and one, that's that's great. Yeah, and that isn't the only time they're going to play these <laughs> back-to-back doubleheaders. Against UAB, they'll play them over three games, four games and three games with a doublehead on Saturday, kind of like what the men do. But against UTEP the next weekend, they're scheduled to have two games on Saturday, two games on Sunday. And then Southern Miss and North Texas are that normal two games on Saturday, but one on Friday and Sunday. So, yeah, there's both baseball and softball are playing with fire here with how many games can we squeeze into as short a period as possible. Yeah, I'm I'm honestly very confused by their schedule. It looks like they don't have a conference series next weekend, but they play LSU on Tuesday and McNeese on Wednesday. 
then they're off next weekend, which is like weird. weird. I, I don't know if something got canceled or what, but that's strange. Then they play ULM and then they're at UAB the following weekend. So um, also interesting that they are still able to play midweek games, but they're still doing these four game conference series on the weekend. So bizarre right. that lsu game is going to be rough because i think massey had lsu ranked at 25th in the country yeah yeah our out of conference schedule this or results so far this year have not been great so mcneese seems to be a pretty even matchup though mcneese is 74th in the country according to massey and gives te- oh. the texters a 19 percent chance to win Yikes. so it's, yeah. it's more even than lsu better, but... Yeah, no, that... What's the percentage against LSU? 4%. 8-1 predicted final score. But you're saying Not there's so a great. chance. There is a chance. Let's Yeah, let's go ahead and do our predictions for the baseball and softball teams. Softball will play two games this week, LSU and... I forgot the other one already. McNeese. LSU and McNeese. And the baseball team will play four games against Rice. So six games. How do we think... Those teams will do. Evan, you want to start us off? Sure. Um, I think that the baseball team will win three games again. I think sweeping four games is really hard, and the doubleheaders make it even harder. So I think we drop one of the doubleheader games again. Softball, uh, mm, sorry, uh, I don't see it. So I'm going three and three overall um, this week. What do you think, Courtney? Um, I agree with Evan for the baseball. I think that sweeping for whenever you have double headers in play is going to be a hard task. I think that tech can do it, but I think three and one is more likely. Um, unlike Evan, I think the texters are going to split their two games this week. I think they're going to beat McNeese. So I'm going to say that we're going to be four and two overall on the week. Yeah. Y'all are absolutely right. It's very hard to win a four game series. We talked about that a lot this week. We're playing Rice, a historically good baseball team, on the road in Houston, but we're going to win all four games. Tech is, the Bulldogs are sweeping the Owls this week. Okay. When it comes, yeah, book it. <laughs> Not sure if, they, if they're just betting on baseball at this point in the season, but yeah, go ahead, find a casino, and just put money down on the table and yell what you want. When it comes to softball, though, Tech has to beat an LSU point team at some point, right? Oh, God. They're, and I think it's going to be this one. I think that the softball texters find a way to beat LSU and then lose to McNeese. So of the six games, I'm saying a 5-1 and one prediction for how I think this week will go. But that's not really all that we have to preview, though, because there's some bowling talk to have right now. Let's talk some bowling, a sport that I've never done better than a 200 in, but most of these sports I'm not very good at. We need to to phone in Daniel Adams right now. Or Daniel Spencer, but we won't air his (laughs) personal life on the the podcast here. Um, Yeah, so so yeah, Tech is uh, headed to the NCAA tournament or the National Collegiate Women's Bowling Championship, NCWBC, which is harder to say than I thought it was, that acronym. we are the fourth overall seed, which means we are the top seed in Region 4 of the championship. There are 16 teams in this event, and it is the first time Tech has gone to this championship. We will tell you some 
things about how this works. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll bite this bullet real quick. We spent a lot of time before the show trying to figure out what a mega match format even is. Here's what we do now. This format's the same one as the, the conference tournament uh, format where the Texters play second. In bowling, the Lady Texters play in the Southland Conference. I don't believe that CUSA sponsors women's bowling. This no. tournament will be double elimination with each round consisting of a best of three match. Here's where Google failed us, because what the rules say is that each of those three games will follow the following formats. One, Baker total pinfall. Two, a five-person team match. And three, a best of seven Baker match play. Apparently a Baker match is just something where the teammates rotate around so that it's like a batting order in baseball where you all the entire team has to bowl before the next one does or or yeah if it's yeah. a five so, person group all five bowl before the first one goes back up again basically if the three of us this is my understanding if the three of us were bowling a baker game i God would bowl us. the first frame the fourth frame the eighth frame nathan you would bowl the second the fifth or you know whatever second fifth and ninth and courtney you would bowl the you know whatever's left third sixth <laughs> wow. and tenth yeah, so I think I wow, skipped the number. I get the last one. But but who? So it's just you know each bowler takes one frame and then your total at the end of the game as if you were one person. Um, so I guess it just puts the pressure on because you only get to bowl a couple frames each, so you really have to bring it in those frames. But I couldn't tell you what the difference between a Baker total pinball and a best of seven Baker match play is, and I tried on Google and I tried to ask my friend who knows more about bowling than me, and he didn't answer. So, Dr. uh, Google has failed us. Yeah, it just gave me a bunch of different NCAA women's bowling programs explaining that that is the format, but no, none of them explained what it means. So, yeah, um, I, I very much regret not asking Jeeves, but either way, <laughs> one team from each regional bracket will advance to the championship. So, I guess it's a four team championship. The champion will be determined using a best of seven Baker match play. Still don't know what that means, yeah. but it will air and we'll figure out what that, <laughs> what that actually means. It will air at 5.30 p.m. Central on Saturday, April 10th on ESPNU. So hopefully the Texters are able to escape their regional, make it to that championship four-team match, and maybe even win the whole thing. And if they make it that far, we'll be able to watch it on TV. Yeah, that'd be cool. What is this other thing you have in the notes here? Yeah, so <laughs> this I, is I not the only bowling tournament that the Texters will be a part of. There's also the USBC, which I assume stands for the United States Bowling Championships. I could not find what the acronym meant anywhere. It never said it in the press release. Mm, context clues. Leaving me to assume. Uh, Congress. Yeah, U.S. Bowling Congress. Bowling Congress. Ah. Yeah. Interesting. It's, it's like, so, like when I bowled in a, a league, bowling house of representatives. When I bowled in a league, I was a member of of USBC as like the they like sanctioned leagues and stuff. My average of like one ninety two or whatever would would have I could enter into tournaments and stuff since my league was sanctioned and I paid the fee or whatever. Of course, I didn't do that, but um, you know, just had to flex my one ninety two average. One ninety two. I bowled over one hundred once. <laughs> well, I'm lucky Daniel Adams isn't here because his average is like 240 or something. So, yeah, yeah, I, I bowled like 200 one time. I went and bought I a lottery ticket you. and lost. Well, the story has I a sad ending. I don't believe any so of that. Should. 
<laughs> I, I could never recreate it. But either way, yeah. So USB-C sectionals, because just like they don't like naming things like championship and they use Congress, they also don't use regionals. They use sectionals. There's four sectional qualifiers that will be held from... Yeah, apparently. <laughs> this is April 16th or 18th, so only a week after that championship for that other acronym, the NCWBC. The USBC gets started. The Texers will compete in the Dallas sectional. Uh, the top four teams from each sectional will advance to the ITC, whatever that stands for, too. There's no B. There's no bowling in this acronym. I don't know. Is it tennis? Um <laughs> But that will be held May fifth through eighth, and I really hope we have someone playing for plane travel because it's in Wyoming, Michigan, two different states, one city. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, the sectional format for twenty twenty one will consist of twenty Baker games each day, hopefully overall, and not for each team, for a total of forty games with total pinfall determining which teams advance to the ITC. If it's twenty Baker games per team, and there's like five players on each team then that wouldn't be that many frames of bowling. 20, you know, 20 divided okay. by whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Why do we try to tackle this? 200 frames divided by five bowlers. So not not that many frames. That That's like four total games each, right? So not not bad. But it may mean something totally different, and I have no idea. So Yeah. Who's this Baker guy is really what I want to know. Yeah, so let's go ahead to our tweets of the week. Uh, I think we have a couple honorable mentions. Uh, first up, though, is Charmillionaire's LaTeX is great tweak. Yeah, it came on April 1st, but it's still up and it's no longer April 1st. So, yep. And also, I think the baseball team proved that, yeah, we are great. So, yeah. next. Greater than you. <laughs> yeah, next up for another role mention is the ODU football uniform announcement introducing Dominion Blue. It looks a lot like yeah, Columbia Blue, yeah. maybe a few shades lighter. But they beat us to our light blue uniforms, and I'm upset. I'm salty. <laughs> yeah, those look those look dope as hell. I mean, they with, really the, do. with the helmet too, it's a white helmet, but it's got like a light blue outline around their ODU symbol, and it's yeah, it's really freaking cool. Like, I need Doctor Wiz to start taking some notes here. Like, come on, do you, do you see how good this looks? Let's go. I'm just waiting for October 30th at SB Ballard Stadium where both teams show up in light blue uniforms. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> it's the uh, the Spider-Man meme where it's just Columbia blue uniforms pointing at each other. Oh my gosh. This week's actual tweet of the week, though, is also kind of on brand in this Columbia blue universe. And it goes to at C-B-E-E-Z-L-E, C-Bezel, I guess. Who responded to our April Fool's tweet, something I spent a little too long on, and that was getting our football field to look like it's Columbia blue instead of green. It's so slick, though. <laughs> yeah. it's a, I'm, I'm proud of how it turned out. It I'm looks surprised at how much so I like good. it. I, I'm also surprised. It, it looks more like a swimming pool than a football field, but I'll take <laughs> it. Uh, but his tweet, though, has a Photoshop of a Bulldog uniform using the tech logo from the baseball unis on the helmet for to say tech, which I, I really enjoyed so even clean. just that part of it. So clean. And then the Columbia blue, both top and bottom uniform. I'd even just take I want that this helmet. So bad. Honestly, like just mix that helmet in there. That'd be cool. It's so good. Yeah. I just love for us to pick a cursive, like a tech font kind of thing. Like, whether it's the baseball one or whatever, but to have kind of a, a unified thing between a few different sports where we have this tech 
script, I think would be a lot of fun. Yeah. But either way, that's Tweet of the Week. What a great tweet. That about wraps it up for this episode of the Go Tech Please Don't Die podcast. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at G-O-T-E-C-H-P-L-S-D-N-T-D-I-E. Or head to our blog where we have some posts up from throughout the year. Maybe some more in this upcoming offseason. And also the baseball contest that's ongoing right now. That's gtpdd.dog.dog. Or the baseball contest is gtpdd.dog slash contest. Yeah, somebody needs to knock my brother off of his uh, his pedestal because he's starting to talk a little bit too much trash for my liking. Courtney's Nathan, working on have it. you graded it this week? Because I'm only two points behind, and I know I got at least two more points. I have not graded it, but I will have by the time the show comes out. Playing with the timeline, oh no. <laughs> but until next time, I'm Timey Nathan. Timey-wimey. I'm Evan. I'm Courtney. And go tech. Please don't die. Please. Yeah, and you taught and you taught me today that apparently there's a licensing on colored fields. So that's interesting. Oh yeah, the reason why we would never get a Columbia Blue Field outside of of course is because Boise State actually holds a few different patents. <laughs> on colored turf and the teams that have colored turf license them from Boise state and our whack days have shown us that we do not play well with Boise state. So <laughs> we would not enter those agreements very easily. I mean, the turf is artificially all colored green. So like, how do they own the patent on the U S patent a- system is a mess. This is a topic for another show. <laughs> <laughs>